Hey, everybody. We're live, and welcome to another episode of the John Riley Project. You know, this is a podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We like to cover a lot of the things going on in San Diego news, San Diego culture, society, politics. We kind of like to focus in on some of these local news stories. And boy, we got a lot in store for you today. We're going to talk about the city of Carlsbad has banned flags to be displayed on city property, including the gay pride flag. We're going to break all that down. La Mesa had a similar um, situation with the gay pride flag. We're going to talk also a little bit more about Carlsbad. They're banning prayer or invocations in their city hall. I think that's interesting. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, there's all this continued development about the homelessness crisis in San Diego. Jim Desmond, our San Diego County supervisor, has come out, you know, really opposing this housing first measure. How does that relate to some of these purchases of older hotels for the homeless? We're going to talk a little bit about that, um, including even some are proposing a payroll tax to subsidize housing in San Diego. We'll talk about that as well. Um, got some interesting comments here about what's going on in my backyard, Rancho Bernardo. There's a big sinkhole. It's causing a lot of controversy in the neighborhood. We'll talk a little there. Um, Santee, the city of Santee has now allowed ta- tattoo shops in the city. We're going to talk about that. And then Lemon Grove is opening up to cannabis. You know, we've talked a lot about cannabis in Rancho Bernardo. Now we're seeing a cannabis story coming forward in Lemon Grove. So we got all that in store for you. Plus, we have our community forum, our San Diego community forum, where you can get involved. If you have a comment or a question, you know, just type it into the live chat on Facebook or on YouTube. We'll get you involved. I've got a whole bunch of other social media comments that we're going to discuss, including term limits in Poway, the farm in Poway. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about homelessness and um and Brian Jones, the, the, sem- the senator from Santee and his ideas. And there was one other topic in the, uh, in the community forum. I can't recall what it is, but we're going to break it all down. So thanks for joining me. Welcome. Uh, happy to get started here with another episode of the podcast. So let's get started, if we can, with this whole business about the city of Carlsbad. And they will not display the gay pride flag in their city property. Uh, And this is obviously anytime there's LGBTQ issues that come up, that's a hot issue. That's a hot issue in California. And, you know, it's interesting to see what these cities are doing and how they navigate around this process. So the headline here in the San Diego Union Tribune story is, is that the proposal to display commemorative flags, including the pride flag, fails in Carlsbad. So, I mean, obviously, if, you know, the LGBTQ community is like up in arms, what do you mean you're banning our flag? You know, this isn't right. And but, you know, there's a lot more to this story. And I think it's worthy of discussion. So um, one of the oh, the mayor, Keith Blackburn, said, "I, I see this being fraught with problems. He says raising the possibility that other groups, including some fringe groups, might want to unfurl their banner on city buildings. You know, it's the old slippery slope argument. If they let some of these banner, uh, these flags in, in Carlsbad, maybe they have to allow a lot of other flags. I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting how this breaks down. Um, now, according to um, 
uh, one of these students, one of the students from Carlsbad High School, her name is Sarah Hunter, she said that in 2019, the city council voted three to two to declare June LGBTQ plus Pride Month each year going forward. And there were two opponents to that. And the opponents said, well, if you do that, then it's going to lead to this flood, this avalanche of other community groups. They're going to want their, you know, monthly, um, uh, their month designated just for them. But what's interesting is it never really materialized. So it's this slippery slope argument. If you let in the gay pride flag, does that mean you have to let in all these other ones? And then will those other ones even come? So... I just I just, I think this is a really interesting topic because it makes you wonder about what is the role of the city government. Um, you know, really, you think of city government, its primary function being safety, you know, fires, fire department, police department, that sort of thing, and infrastructure like roads and sewer and water and then parks. And, and you know, there's a number of other things that gets involved with city government. But should city government be flying the flag of you know gay pride? Should it be flying the POW flag? Should it be flying a lot of other flags? I mean, that's a fair question. Um, now, the similar story, this went down in La Mesa as well. And um, Laura Lothian, who's a city council member in La Mesa, and she's relatively conservative, she proposed a similar plan to essentially ban any of the flags on city property Um, because she only said we should only display the American flag, the California flag and the La Mesa flag. And that's it. Um, And so uh, she said, well, she posted a, you know, a video on Instagram and said, we need to put our political activism aside and we have to not make city hall a billboard for people's political agendas, you know, and, Okay, I mean, if you break this down, this is just really interesting to me. Now, I got to say this. I think the city of Carlsbad did the right thing. And I'm going to explain why. And it's probably a little bit of a different angle than you might expect from some other people. But let's kind of keep going through this. So um, apparently, you know, this Laura Lothian, the city council member in La Mesa that proposed a similar rule it got shot down. There was overwhelming community um, uh, people speaking against her. Um, and it was almost like the community thought that Lothian was trying to be neutral. And she, they, uh, one of the objectors, Mary Davis, said um, that the La Mesa – Um, should be neutral on social issues. La Mesa is already a diverse, loving and accepting city, and you don't need to prove that with a flag. So some people are saying they need to be neutral. I don't think city government should be neutral on these things. But the question is, should they fly a flag? And then this uh, this person who was a conservative that was objecting to the gay pride flag was saying, well, what if I unfurled a national sanctity of life flag, you know, kind of a, a pro-life flag, you know, in the abortion argument. And apparently the audience groaned and that sort of thing. Um, but she, you know, they, they were asking Laura Lothia, how can you push this agenda of neutrality when there are people that are, LGBTQ that are being persecuted, that are being slandered, that, you know, people don't have the luxury of such neutrality, uh, such neutrality. 
Well, here's the deal. Here's my opinion on this whole thing. There's a difference between public sector and private sector. Let's set that up first. In the private sector, people should be able to display whatever flag they want. I mean, you want to put a flag on your house and or on your business, go for it. We have freedom of speech in the United States of America. That's a good thing. Now, in the public sector, is this something the city government should be doing? Well, people, some people might say, well, you're darn right. I mean, we got to show support for LGBTQ and we got to make sure these people are supported. Okay, but here's the deal. And this is kind of a fundamental issue that I have. You hear a lot of people talk about, well, we, there's gay rights and women's rights and rights for all these different minority groups. We shouldn't think in those terms, in my opinion. We should think in terms of all of us having equal rights. All of us having the same inalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That includes people that are LGBTQ, that they can go out and live their own life and make choices about their own life and live freely and live a life according to their own values. And in my opinion, that's baked in to the American flag. I mean, after all, you know, our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness come from the American Declaration of Independence in, you know, July 4th, 1776, or July 2nd, if you want to be technical about it. Um, but at any rate, it's it's interesting. I, I, I agree with Carlsbad's stance, and I agree with this Laura Lothian in La Mesa that they should have also banned it in La Mesa, too. And it's not because you're banning gays or LGBTQ. It's not because you're banning that. What you're doing is is you, you need to double down on the American flag and what liberty is all about. And that the American flag stands up for individual rights, including LGBTQ and including every other minority group that has a flag that wants to be represented. It's all there. And I think when you start insisting that there are gay rights and then there are women's rights and there are rights for, you know, um, I mean, any possible political identity group, you lose sight of the fact that we all have the same rights. So, you know, maybe if there was an equal rights flag, I would be supportive of that because that's really what it's intended here. Um, So one of the objectors, um, she said, get with the times, Laura Lothian, you know, the councilwoman from La Mesa. And she said, you are a beautiful woman and you would be lucky to experience the love of another woman. But instead you choose to spread hate. Do you really think the American flag isn't political? Well, the American flag definitely is political. The American flag has, represents what this nation is supposed to be all about. Freedom, liberty, living your life according to your own values, pursuing your happiness. So, um, I know my take on this is kind of different than most people. I'm, I'm of the opinion that it's okay for the city council, for the city halls to not kind of fall into the trap of having to, you know, have all these different flags and these different commemorations to all these different groups. I mean, what do you think? If you've got a thought or a comment, you can get involved in the live stream. Um, Here's a comment here already from Dana McGee-Sterl. She says, we're supposed to have equal rights, but we don't. 
You're right, Dana. We're supposed to have equal rights. That's the point. And we should be standing up for equal rights, that we all have a right to our own life, a right to make decisions about our own life. We have the liberty to make choices about our own life, and ultimately we can pursue our happiness. And if everybody had that right, then that takes care of all of the persecution and the oppression of other people's rights and of all these different political identity groups. I mean, if we, if we really understood life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, there wouldn't be a problem with gay rights. There wouldn't be a problem with women's rights. There wouldn't be a problem with slavery or Jim Crow laws. I mean, it, because the nation would be built on the proper moral and, and ethical foundations, and it should be the legal foundation. Ed Franklin on the live stream says it should be human rights. Well, yeah, I mean, all men are created equal. All humans are created equal. We all have the same rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. <laughs> Ed Franklin says human rights, period. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately that's what it should be. We should all have equal rights. And if we stood up for that, it's baked in that lesbian, bisexual, gay, trans, they get equal rights too. The other guy has the same rights as you do. Um, so hopefully these cities can kind of see uh, this story a little bit more clearly. But it seems like if no matter what you do here, you're either framed as being pro-LGBTQ or part of a hate group. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I, I think if you just support individual rights, inalienable rights, you're on the right side, in my opinion. Okay, let's move on. Um, the next topic, also in Carlsbad, and another similar kind of a story, the city of Carlsbad is banning prayer at city council meetings. What do you think of that? Now, um, thoughts and prayers will no longer precede Carlsbad city council meetings. And you, you might think, oh, this is just a you know, kind of a throwaway thing that some people just have these, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like pomp and circumstance. It's part of these meetings where they always have this, these formalities. And some of these cities are still doing invocations. And the city of Carlsbad has now said, you know, we're not doing that anymore. And I'm thinking, man, right on Carlsbad. Good for you again. Carlsbad for decades routinely had a guest deliver an invocation after the council recited the Pledge of Allegiance. Okay, don't get me started on the Pledge of Allegiance. That's a whole other thing. I mean, why in the heck is are we making people pledge allegiance to a flag? This is the United States of America that's based on liberty. Pledging allegiance in the, to a flag is like the opposite of liberty, but it's still it's a it's a custom that we always do not only in city council meetings but in the beginning of school every day. I mean, I get the idea of bringing people together and kind of unifying people around a common set of values, but pledging allegiance to a flag always seemed ridiculous to me. Um, it's it's anti liberty in the first place, but then. Having a, an invocation or a prayer, it's like, well, well, whose prayer? I mean, is it a Christian prayer? Is it a Muslim prayer? Is it a Jewish prayer? Is it um, – what about people that are agnostic or even atheist? I mean, what's their prayer? I mean, this is a nation that's built on a freedom of religion. 
So why is a city doubling down on having religion baked into the way they conduct their business? The city council in Carlsbad received more than 40 letters on this issue, some of which were long and passionate. A majority opposed invocations, many saying they infringe on the constitutional separation of church and state. And yeah, I mean, the First Amendment is right there. The First Amendment says, well, technically, there isn't really a separation of church and state. The First Amendment comes close, but it's not a, like a Great Wall of China that separates the two. Um, the First Amendment says, essentially, that the government can have no official religion and that people in their own private life should not be banned from practicing their religion. Um, but when a city government kicks off their city government meeting with a prayer, and I don't care what denomination it's from, they are de facto endorsing a religion. It has no business being involved in city government affairs, in my opinion. Um, now, former council member in Carlsbad, Mark Packard, he was a proponent for this. He says, this would be a return to the good values that we've had for so long in Carlsbad. And he went on to say that the U.S. Congress starts each legislative session with an invocation and that the courts have ruled it doesn't violate the separation of church and state. Well, I mean, it's because you got a lot of religious people that are in office, you know, and they're trying to push their religious agenda. It's like people want to post the Ten Commandments in courthouses. I mean, there's just no business for that. Um, but apparently in 2015, this guy, Mark Packard, a former council member, who's also a leader in the um, LDS church in Carlsbad, um, he had, was asked to get, uh, fill in for a guest who failed to appear. And in 2015, Packard did the invocation and he waxed on long about his faith and his divine assistance with wisdom, patience and guidance, and then closed the prayer in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's like, okay, I get, you know, your religion is important to you. I totally understand that, but it has no place in a city. I mean, it's just like we wouldn't have that in a school. We, we, we shouldn't have that in a school. And for this very same reason, we shouldn't have that in a city council meeting. Um, now, the mayor, Keith Blackburn, he went on to say city government was formed to provide two things, infrastructure such as streets and parks and public safety, such as police and fire services. And, you know, generally speaking, I agree with him. I mean, so we don't really need to be getting involved in a lot of these religious things. I mean, what do you think? I, I think it was a good move by the city of Carlsbad to ban prayer at city council meetings. Um Matt Brannigan on the live stream chiming in. Good. Separation of church and state is very important. We don't have a state religion, nor should we. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people that think we do have a state religion. They'll, people will claim that America was founded as a Christian nation. That's just a bunch of hogwash. That's not true at all. America was founded as a nation that gave people the liberty to, you know, essentially follow their own path in life. Now, granted, were the founders primarily Christian? Yeah. Some of them were deists, which I think means that they believed in a higher power, but not necessarily the Christian God, but something similar. Um, but, and, and, you know, there are obviously a lot of evangelicals that came to America, and that's part of the reason why we have such a religious history in America. But, it just, in my opinion, prayer has no business being involved in. I mean, these are people that are talking about fixing city streets. 
upgrading our parks, talking about fighting crime in our neighborhoods. I mean, you know, having a prayer to whomever your almighty God is, is irrelevant to what these people are trying to do when they conduct business. Um, on the live stream, Mike Ch- Divine chiming in, climate change is the state religion. We should separate that church from the state. I hear you. I mean, our, our climate change uh, you know, activists are very passionate to the point of it almost being religious, um, for sure. Uh, I'm of the opinion there are certain things a city government can do that can address climate change. But really, they can do it in a way to save money for people, uh, save money for the city. You know, putting solar panels on the roofs of government buildings so you don't have to pay SDG&E as much. It ends up saving taxpayer money. That's a good thing. Um, And it doesn't have to necessarily be religious. It's just fiscally prudent. Matt Brannigan on the live stream says, UK doesn't have separation of church and state. Its state religion is C of E. Yeah, the Church of England. At elementary school, we had hymns, prayers, and sermon every morning. Yeah, I mean, that that's what America was trying to get away from that. I mean, yeah, in the UK, the, the, the King of England was in charge of the nation and in charge of the Church of England. I mean, I mean that, that's, in my opinion, part of a lot of the problems that they had in England, because the Catholics were persecuted in England. Um, and that's, there's a whole long history of that there. I mean, religion has no business being involved with government and government has no business being involved in religion unless the people are practicing their religion and are like, you know, sacrificing humans to their God, you know, like an Aztec religion or something. Okay, yeah. I mean, if people's rights are being violated, government should step in, even if they're doing it under the guise of of religion. But religion, religious prayer has no business being involved in a city council meeting. I mean, frankly, like I said, I don't even think the Pledge of Allegiance should be in schools or in city council meetings because it's such a nonsense. I mean, break it down. Read the words of what the Pledge of Allegiance is all about and then say, how does that match up with separation of church and state? Because, you know, there is that under God part that's in the Pledge of Allegiance. But then on top of it, it's the whole idea of pledging allegiance is kind of yeah, it's the exact opposite of independence. It's it's about being subservient to some higher power. And America was founded on v- uh, blowing that idea out of the water. Um, so I know I, I think it's kind of crazy. Um, Matt Brannigan says, by the way, the UK is majority atheists. So beware of what you wish for. Yeah. I mean, imagine that. I mean, imagine being a nation, in this case, majority atheist, really? Is it really? I would I would understand majority agnostic. To me, atheist means you believe there's no God. Agnostic means you believe there is a higher power, but you're not sure who it is or what it is. But you at least, you know, you have doubts, you have questions. But an atheist flat out believes there's no no higher power, period. My hunch is in the UK, they're more agnostic than atheist. Um. I think if you were to break down the United States of America, you'll see it's trending in that direction. It's becoming less religious, more agnostic, um, but still dominant Christian, <laughs> overwhelmingly. But the dominance has reduced a bit. Okay, let's move on. So much to cover on this episode of the John Riley Project. Let's talk a little bit now about uh, Council Member Jim 
um, Edmonds, uh, our supervisor, Jim, Des- excuse me, Jim Desmond. Uh, Jim Edmonds was the center fielder for the St. Louis Cardinals and San Diego Padres. Uh, Jim Desmond, our San Diego supervisor, is really upset about this policy to solve homelessness in San Diego County. Because, and, and let's let's kind of break all this down. So, you know, we've covered this before in some of my previous episodes. The I think it was the county or was it the city? I think it's the county of San Diego was buying these older hotels. And then setting them up, setting them up for the homeless. And on one level, you're thinking, hmm, this is an interesting idea. You know, on one level, you know, there are people that are homeless in our streets. There are people living in tents on the side of the sidewalk or, you know, in parks or wherever they're living. People living in their cars. And that's not good for the homeless person. That's not good for the people that live in that community. That's not for good for the businesses that are in that community to have all this homelessness. And so there's been this push to, you know, get rid of the homeless, to kick them out. But the question always is, is where, where do they go? I mean, you got to put them somewhere. You can't, you can't just kick them out and then they're just going to pop up somewhere else like a day or two later. It's like a game of whack-a-mole. You've got to find a place where they can go. And so one of the solutions has been to go out and buy these hotels and, make them available to the homeless. But I mean, this comes at a huge cost. Now, Jim Desmond, our supervisor here in San Diego County, he says, hey, man, I don't agree with this policy because it's the policy he calls it is housing first. And he's saying, well, wait a minute. There's a, a, a lot going on with homelessness. It's not just a housing problem. I mean, because these people have mental health issues and addiction issues, and there's a lot of other things going on. I mean, if you just provide a roof over their head, that doesn't solve the core issue of kind of getting their life straightened out to overcoming the addiction or addressing the mental health issues. And he's he's right. I mean, there, this I've often said that it's a multidimensional problem, homelessness in San Diego. Now, like I said, I I believe the reason we got to this point is because of the government policies in the first place that made housing so expensive by limiting development, by delimiting construction. And there was just more and more demand in San Diego for all the reasons that we know, San Diego being America's finest city, and they didn't build enough. So demand exceeded supply and prices went through the roof for, for not only for purchasing real estate, but for renting apartments and houses and everything else. And this thing has been building up. And then you complicate it with the fact that, yeah, there are drug issues, there are mental health issues, there's PTSD issues, which, by the way, were caused by federal government officials sending our troops into war. And they come back from, from the, their, their missions in Afghanistan and Iraq, and you know, they got health concerns and they're homeless. So the county is planning to buy another building, but they voted on it and it was divided. You know, now there's only four votes on the county board of supervisors because um, Flet- Nathan Fletcher has resigned. But they voted three to one on this plan. And this plan could be used to house more than 300 people. And they voted three to one. And Jim Desmond was the one that was dissenting. Now, it, what's interesting, there's another angle to this that makes it interesting because you might think, well, I object to having them spend money to buy all these hotels to provide free housing. Maybe you think that. Well, they're already getting the money from the state. 
the state is granting the money to these cities. And in this case, the state was giving the county the money to buy this hotel. You know I mean, it wouldn't have come out of any local general funds. I mean, obviously, we're all paying taxes to the state of California. That funds it. But it's not like it's coming out of the general fund for the county board of supervisors. So some people are saying, well, you know, the money is there. We may be kind of foolish not to take it. Well, it's tricky because... You do have to have a place for the homeless to go on a temporary basis until you solve the housing crisis. And, but that's going to take a long time. And in the meantime, they've got to have a place to go. And I know Mayor Todd Gloria in San Diego wanted to set aside a portion of Balboa Park and make it open for camping. I like that idea. I think that's a reasonable idea. Um, but if we're going to go into the business of buying all of these hotels – well, not now you've got a situation where how, is it a temporary solution? Does it become a permanent solution? And if so, is that right? I don't think it is. And then on top of it, if the city goes ahead and buys all these properties, well, then the city's going to have to maintain those properties. And so even though there might be no expense to buy it initially, there's going to be an ongoing expense. And then, you know, when does this end? I mean, you know, there are, is it an obligation on taxpayers to buy all these hotels to put the homeless in. And and even if you were able to convince the homeless to go into those hotels, which I think is a tough ask, but even if you're able to convince them all to make that move, would it solve the problem? But I don't think it would because homelessness is growing. It's not shrinking. It's growing. So they have to have a temporary place to live. One of the ideas that came up in one of our previous episodes was the county had vacant buildings, their own buildings that weren't being used. Maybe they could use those. Going in and buying real estate's a whole other level. I have questions about that. I mean, if we just need to set aside a place for camping, great. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense because you can't have people camping on the street, on the sidewalk. I mean, it's disruptive and to people that live and do business in those communities. It's just, I mean, that's, not right. Frankly, it's against the law as it should be. And in many cases, it's a violation of people's property rights because people are setting up homeless campus on people's private property. I mean, you can't have that. And the city needs to be able to manage their public property. But um, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm with Jim Desmond, I'm kind of agree and disagree because while housing first as a policy may not make sense. I think housing only as a policy does not solve the problem. In other words, just providing housing for homeless. It has to be a multidimensional solution covering a wide range of issues. Um, the problem, of course, to Jim Desmond's point, though, is, is that they address here the housing, but is the, are, is the government prepared to do all the other things that they, they should do? Or if not the government, who will do these things? And I think it's interesting. Um, this is a problem. It's not going away. Um, you know, we're going to continue to have homelessness in San Diego County. Um, and we need a long-term solution, but we also need short-term solutions. What are your thoughts on this? Should this county of San Diego be buying these older hotels, motels, and converting them into housing for the homeless? And by the way, they're, you know, they're to the tune of about $400,000 per unit. That's a lot of money. Um, what's the right thing to do here? Tell me what you think on the live stream. We'll take your comments and questions. Um, 
going back on our previous topic, Matt Brannigan was saying, um, yes, John, probably not atheist. <laughs> He's talking about religion in the UK. Probably not atheist. It, it was 60% listing the religion as none or atheist. Probably many more were nuns. Yeah, I agree. Well, not N-U-N-S, nuns, <laughs> N-O-N-E-S, nuns. Okay, let's move on. Um, I want to talk again a little bit more about housing, but before I get to that, um, just a couple of housekeeping issues. I'll share some ideas here with you. Um, if you want to learn more about my podcast, if you want to get involved, maybe you want to be a guest. You probably are looking here. I got another microphone next to me. If you want to be a guest, and you know, I invite all political candidates to be a guest on my podcast. I don't care if you're running for mayor, city council, school board, Senate, House of Representatives. You're running for dog catcher in Imperial Beach. You know, love to have you here on the John Riley Project. Um, I've invited so many other guests that have been on this podcast. Um, so if you'd like to join me, you can reach out at my website, johnreillyproject.com. All of our episodes are there. You can connect, connect with me on social media. It's all on that website. And by the way, I also host a second website, excuse me, a second podcast with legendary sports talk show host and former NFL play-by-play man, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. We do a podcast every Thursday and most Mondays at three o'clock right here in the John Riley Project podcast studio. So if you love sports, check out Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and he's on all the social media platforms, all the audio only podcast platforms and on YouTube, you know, so if you really analyze it, you'll see a lot of similarities because I produce both programs. So uh, you'll see a lot of similarities between the two. Okay. Um, Now here, this is another topic on housing. We talked about this Jim Desmond issue with housing first, but check this out. What do you think about a payroll tax to subsidize housing in San Diego? You might be thinking, well, what what is this? What do you mean? Well, apparently they're doing this in Seattle. And so the proposal is, is it would require large businesses to pay a tax on all employees who make over $150,000 a year. And most of that money would go to subsidize housing. And the San Diego Union Tribune ran this in their business section, and they do this where they'll usually pose a question and they'll ask a lot of local economists. They're typically professors at local universities or people that work in the financial industry. And this program called Jumpstart would require, yeah, all these, but only large businesses and only for employees that make over 150 grand, the business would have to pay a tax on their payroll. And now, by the way, the building community is already taxed to pay for affordable housing, particularly in the city of San Diego, where developers pay millions in fees if they don't include subsidized housing projects. What do you think of that? Now, in my opinion, this is an asinine idea. <laughs> so right now we've got a problem. In fact, there's another, here, there's another article that came out that, you know, with all of this crisis that's going on in our housing market, do you know that housing prices are still going up? The median house pr- home price in San Diego went up and it was um, 805000 It's, you know, went up one and a half percent. Um San Diego's recent price climb is happening with fewer transactions. There were 2,408 home sales in April, down 53%. So there are fewer transactions. Why? Because there's so little inventory available. 
So if they end up subsidizing housing, if they end up taxing people that make over 150 grand or taxing businesses that have employees that make over 150 grand, then what you're going to be doing is creating even greater demand on the housing market while not addressing the supply. And what is that going to do? It's going to make the prices even more expensive than they already are now. And the prices keep going up. So, you know, there's all these altruistic ideas to come up to find ways to make housing more affordable. And I understand that. I mean, housing needs to be more affordable. But when you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, you're not really solving the core problem. Now, fortunately, when a lot of these other economic professors and financial professionals weighed in on this in this article in the San Diego Union Tribune, they all had very similar comments. Um, Norm Miller, who is a professor at the University of San Diego, said, if we want to keep losing residents and employers, then a payroll tax is a great idea. <laughs> um, another another person weighed in, Carolyn Freund, who is um, at the UC San Diego School of Global Policy and Strategy. She said, Businesses and workers are already leaving California because of high taxes and too much regulation. While it may seem like a good idea to tax large businesses with high wage bills, these are precisely the businesses San Diego wants to keep and encourage. And they're right. I mean, imagine, I mean, just take this. I mean, I know that we're going to be talking kind of big numbers here, but a person that makes $150,000 a year or more, I mean, they're doing pretty well in San Diego County. Um, some people would say that they're rich. But you know what? If you're earning – let's just say you're making $150,000 a year, which is a good sum of money, it's still hella hard to buy a house in San Diego. I mean, imagine being a first-time home buyer. You want to buy that $800,000 house. You've got to come up with a down payment of what? I'm not, just, let's just assume 10%. You've got to come up with eighty grand. Now, if you're making $150,000 a year in your taxes and everything else, I mean, it's going to take a long time to save $80,000. And so what you end up doing is if you are having this payroll tax, you're, you're making it, you know, that's that you're making that company pay this tax that they could otherwise be paying that employee who is making 150. And maybe instead they can make 160 or 170 and make it easier for them to go and buy another house. But instead, by subsidizing different people, it's just a shell game and you're moving the money around and it doesn't solve the core problem that there's not enough inventory because it's really a supply and demand problem. There's not enough supply and you end up distorting demand by having this kind of a payroll tax idea. So a lot of other people weighed in. Kelly Cunningham, we hear about him a lot from the San Diego Institute of Economic Research. He said it was no, it was a bad idea. I mean, pretty much everyone weighed in no. Even Alan Jin at the University of San Diego is one of the top economists in San Diego County. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Should big businesses have to pay an extra tax and that money goes into a fund that subsidizes the purchase of homes for other people. To me, it seems like it's good intentions, but it's just a completely wacky idea from an economic perspective because it doesn't solve the problem. And in fact, I think it makes the problem worse. What do you think? Um, got another comment here on the live stream. And uh, this is from Ed Franklin. It says, you really want to give more money to those politicians? Stop hitting the California businesses. That's why they are moving. Ed, you're right. 
That is why they're moving. I mean, businesses have been leaving California because of all of this added expense, added regulation, um, all the added taxes. And the cost to hire employees is so expensive here, too, because the cost of living is so high. So a lot of businesses have moved out. Now, unfortunately, when you move out of California, you're probably moving to a state that is going to be less educated and probably have a lot less skilled workers. So it is a bit of a double-edged sword. But yeah, I mean, a lot of businesses have been leaving. So if, if San Diego wants to be this community that's going to have a thriving economy and have these biotech companies and high technology and defense industry and and a you know a flourishing tourism sector here in San Diego County. Well, we should be creating policies that encourage that, that incentivize that, not disincentivize. I mean, well, really, ideally, there wouldn't be any incentives at all. It would just be, you know, kind of a how should I say, uh, a, a system that was not distorted or not tilted in anyone's favor. That it would just be, you know, we all follow a certain set of rules and no one's getting kickbacks or incentives or any kind of a subsidy. That we all are just kind of out in our own life pursuing our own happiness. But um, I don't know. I, I'm, I was happy to see that this idea was largely shut down by most of the economists in the county. Okay, um, let's move on. I got a couple more topics I want to get to. Um, we're going to talk about the Rancho Bernardo sinkhole. We're going to talk about... Um, Santee opening up tattoo parlors, which is kind of a wild one. And um, then we're also going to talk a little bit about um, um, the city of Lemon Grove opening up some cannabis dispensaries. Um, but let me, let me just throw this out on the table for you as well. If you are interested, let's just say you want to be a supporter of the John Riley Project. You like what we're doing here. You like to be helpful. You want to be a supportive. You might say, you know what? I know John does these podcasts for free, but I still like to financially support him. Well, there's a way you can do that. It's totally voluntary. If you go on my website, johnreillyproject.com, up in the upper menu, there's a donate button. And people can leave a $5 donation, a $10 donation. Maybe you want to send 20 bucks a month. You know, there's a guy that I listen to that does this as well, where he's a podcaster. He does a great job. I love what he does. And I support him because I like him and I want him to keep doing it. And so I give him 25 bucks a month mm -hmm. and um, it's just deducted from my, uh, my checking account and it goes to him every month. And it's my way of saying, hey man, I like what you're doing. Please do more. Um, if you feel similarly about what I'm doing here, you have a choice, you have an option to do it, or you can continue to get it for free. But, you know, if I'm providing value for you, if you want to provide value back in a win-win relationship, we'd love to have your support. Okay. Uh, Ed Franklin on the live stream says, I should start that. Yeah. Well, I figure Ed, Ed Franklin, of course, is another great podcaster here in the local area, the Ed Franklin No Limits podcast. I'm of the opinion is that if people want to support you, then make it easy for them to support you. You know, you're not demanding that they support you. You're not begging for their support. You're not um, uh, putting stuff necessarily behind a paywall that they have to subscribe. Although that's not a bad idea for bonus content to put behind a paywall. But uh, if, you know, I mean, there are people out there that legitimately just want to support podcasters that want to support musicians and other artists. 
you know, that they, they love what they do and they just want and they want to be there. And so I figure, why not just provide that mechanism on my website? And if people want to support, great. And if they don't, that's OK, too. I still love them. Um, <laughs> Ed Franklin says, all my listeners are homeless. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we got to get them in a house first, Ed, right? Um, OK, let's move on. Um, let's talk a little bit about Rancho Bernardo, the sinkhole update. Oh my God, what's going on in Rancho Bernardo? So this is on, um, Escala drive. I don't know if you know where that is, but if you're on highway 15 and you're going northbound and you're in between Rancho Bernardo drive and Pomerado road exit, and you look to your right hand side, you're kind of in a little bit of a gully. And you'll see this one little road that's kind of all by itself, kind of going through a canyon. And that's a Scala Drive. And there's a sinkhole there. And it's they've had to shut down the road, I mean, because it's obviously dangerous. And, you know, this is all part of the problem with all these sinkholes that have been happening because of all the rain that we had. And you're thinking, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of rain. The roads are a mess. There was that terrible sinkhole on the 78 freeway out in Oceanside Vista area. It took them forever to fix that. But, you know, it kind of goes back to, you know, what Mayor Blackburn was saying there in the city of Carlsbad. Our, our, our fundamental role for city government is to provide police and fire and infrastructure like roads and, and parks and sewer. And so this is like one of the fundamental things that people expect from their city government is just to fix the damn roads. And yet there's so much trouble and so much difficulty in doing it. So this sinkhole happened, and it's a kind of a critical piece of, of roadway. Um, this sinkhole happened about, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, and they still haven't really even started working on it because they've got to get additional approvals and permits. They've got to go and get environmental you know, testing done on the area, and they're just making it so complex. Now, granted, you know, there, there's, there's a sewer issue here. There's a lot of stuff that has to be done. But they haven't even started on it yet. And so now they're putting forward this emergency contract. It's been secured. They're doing an environmental review right now. Um, and the repairing of the road and the rebuilding of the stormwater system is, is expected to take approximately eight weeks. So, you know, I get it. I get that this is not an easy project. I get that this is going to take time. But my God, it just seems like this is one of the most fundamental things that city government should be doing is fixing the roads. And they should be like Johnny on the spot taking care of these things. But yet the roads throughout Rancho Bernardo are a disaster. I mean, drive down Carmel Mountain Road, drive down Ted Williams Parkway. Those roads are horrible. And now we've got more horrible roads in Rancho Bernardo. And this one's a lot more serious because, you know, it's eroded a lot of the, the soil underneath. Um, so... Let's see how this one goes. I mean, I know a lot of people live in that community. They're having to take alternate routes and it kind of sucks. But this is this is something to keep an eye on because, you know, this is I mean, I'll tell you know, say what you will about the city of Poway. And I know there's a lot of fans and a lot of, um, you know, detractors from Mayor Steve Voss and the city council in Poway. But I'll tell you what, the one thing that they're pretty good at doing are the roads. Um, they have a system where. I think it's like every seven years, they refurbish and repair roads in one-seventh of the city. And they kind of have this rotating plan. Um, and, and they'll patch the roads, and then they'll slurry seal the roads. And in fact, in my area, they were just patching a lot of the holes on Stone Canyon Road. Why I live off of Stone Canyon. 
And I would assume that in the short time, they're going to probably be re-slurring it and then re-striping it. And it's a good system. The local politicians here in Poway have figured out a way to kind of take that problem off the board. You know, because this is usually one of the biggest complaints that people have with city leaders is fixing the damn roads. Um, they've t- Poway officials have effectively eliminated that as a problem. I mean, I'm sure there's a couple of minor issues, but generally speaking, the roads in Poway are pretty darn good. But in San Diego, it's still a disaster. And what are they doing now? They, they bought a van with all these sensors and measurement devices, and they're driving it all over San Diego to measure the potholes, measure the gravel, measure the indulations along the road. And you're like, dude, <laughs> there's a sinkhole right here. Fix it. Come on, man. So um, I don't know. Let's keep an eye on this story. Okay, let's move on. Um, talk a little bit about the city of Santee. And they're lifting this ban on tattoo shops. Now, Ed Franklin should be my guest here. Ed is a big tattoo guy. Um, but this I caught my attention for a number of different reasons. So the headline is that a longstanding ban on tattoo shops in Santee is likely to be lifted. Leaders said the change was largely made to allow for microblading, a cosmetic procedure done at beauty salons. And that's kind of the photo I have there. You know, microblading apparently is this tattoo procedure that people use to create permanent eyebrows. And this is obviously a very popular procedure, but because the technique is very similar to the way tattoos are done, and because a lot of these cities have had these voodoo kind of old-fashioned laws blocking uh, tattoo parlors, you know, a lot of this cosmetic, um, it's not really cosmetic surgery, but it's cosmetic enhancements, those are kind of getting picked up in the backwash of all this, and they're getting blocked. So Santee leaders have given initial approval to plan expanding where tattoo shops can be in the East East County City, mainly to allow for cosmetic procedures that create semi-permanent eyebrows. Um, now, according to Councilman uh, Rob McNellis in Santee, he says, I don't see any issues with bringing in the, quote, wrong crowd to get their eyebrows done. <laughs> I mean, this this is kind of like the cannabis issue, right? You think you're bringing in the wrong crowd. I mean, come on. Again, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, right? That's kind of the overarching theme of my podcast. Local government should let people make choices about their life. If you want to own a tattoo business and you want to have tattoo customers to come in, and I don't care if they want to do microblading of your eyebrows or they want to have a tattoo of mom and a heart on their arm, that's not something that the city government officials should be getting in the way of. Now, um, So uh, the council member went on to say, he goes, I'm actually okay with a few of them. I just don't want them on every corner. Well, come on, man. I'm not going to be on every corner because the city probably doesn't have a big enough marketplace for that. But there might be some. And even if there were some, even if there were like, I don't know, five or six of them in the city of Santee, does that send the whole darn city down the tubes? No, of course not. Of course not. Um, So uh, Vice Mayor Laura Caval went on to say, society has definitely changed. I honestly think we should probably see more salons and things like that that offer those types of services. All right. So Vice Mayor Laura Caval is actually an enlightened person. I like to see that in the city of Santee. Um, So this is interesting to me. Now, I live in Poway. Do we have tattoo tattoo parlors in Poway? I don't think we do. 
Um, I mean, they're all obviously all over different parts of San Diego County. But at least Santee, you know, coming along into the 21st century, you know, I mean, it's a good thing. This is art. This is art. This is people that go in that want to feel good about themselves. This is people pursuing their own happiness, not just the customers that are getting these microblading for permanent eyebrows or getting tattoos. But these are artists that are pursuing their happiness, setting up a shop, expressing their art, providing a service to their customers, making a living doing what they love. I mean, this should be something I mean, this should be a no-brainer, right? Especially in Santee. I mean, you think you know, East County typically tends to be more Murica, more conservative. I mean, this is liberty. This is freedom. So this is something that I think should definitely be approved. I'm happy to see Santee moving in that direction. Um, Ed Franklin asked the same question. Does Poway have a tattoo place? Um, and he goes on to say, doesn't look like it. I can't find one. Yeah, I don't think Poway does. I think... Um, you know, Poway has a ban on cannabis. Poway likely has a ban on tattoo parlors. Because Poway is such a conservative city, um, Poway has had a dominant Republican city council and mayor for so long. Uh, the the so-called Poway guard of uh, kind of the silent majority in Poway is generally pretty traditional, pretty religious and they've found a way to have their city government essentially ban those 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 kinds of businesses, you know, that element to keep them out of Poway. Never mind the fact that they've got, you know, shoddy liquor stores tucked away in strip, in strip malls and, and God knows what else out there. So, you know, it, it's, it's just something that's kind of just nuts, in my opinion. It's something that should be easy to approve especially in a city like Poway. <laughs> Ed Franklin goes on to say, no strip clubs either. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, none of that either. By the way, I just started watching, for the first time, I started watching The Sopranos. Have you seen that? Wow, what a great show that is. Um, and you know, just thinking about, yeah, no strip clubs, bada bing. Um, been watching that show. I'm really enjoying it. I've been binge watching it for the last couple of weeks. Uh, wow, what a show. And I, th- I, th- I think I was the last person on the planet to watch The Sopranos, but I'm enjoying it. Okay, moving on down the line, let's talk a little bit about this Lemon Grove is approving cannabis. Okay, you know, we talked extensively about this in Rancher Bernardo, you know, Urban Leaf, a cannabis dispensary, a retailer of marijuana products, not just, you know, the leaves and the buds, and but they're also selling gummies and all kinds of other marijuana product. That was recently approved in Rancho Bernardo after going through like over four years of dealing with local planning boards and regulators and city government officials all trying to block them. They pretty much cleared all the hurdles. They're going to open in Rancho Bernardo, you know, hallelujah, freedom in the United States of America. Well, now Lemon Grove is in a similar situation. So there's two dispensaries that they're going to open, and one of them is called Element 7 which is a company that um, would launch a cannabis delivery service, okay? So like Uber Eats, but bringing, you know, I don't know, brownies and gummies and other kinds of um, concoctions to your front doorstep. Uh, But cannabis shops, this is Lemon Grow, but cannabis shops remain illegal in El Cajon and Santee and have only recently moved slowly towards the market. Oh, no, and Santee has only recently slowly moved in, but they're illegal in El Cajon. The general East County region for cannabis has been dominated by La Mesa, 
which has far more dispensaries than its neighbors. Well, yeah. I mean, if if you are in La Mesa and your cities that are nearby have banned cannabis, that's a strategic advantage to open up in La Mesa. Can you get all the, the customers coming in from El Cajon or Santee? Um, again, this to me, the parallels with this and, and the tattoo parlor thing are similar. This, you know, our our nation has a history, a religious tradition that makes a lot of certain activities taboo. And I understand if you don't agree with cannabis and you don't agree with tap, uh, tattoo parlors, I get that. But this is also a nation that's founded on freedom, uh, founded on people having their inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And if they're not harming anyone else, then they should be free to do this. And um, by the way, these cannabis dispensaries, they're already delivering into El Cajon and Santee and Lemon Grove. If not doing it legally, they're doing it on the down low. I mean, that's already happening. So why not just accept reality? Well, it's good news is that La Mesa is finally coming around on this. But the proposal, by the way, has attracted some controversy since another businessman named Christopher Williams tried and failed to open a shop next door to another place. And there's apparently a rule in Lemon Grove that says you can't have two of them within a thousand feet of each other. It's kind of like the guy in Santee that didn't want tattoo parlors on every street corner. I mean, that's a competitive decision that those in business should be making for themselves, not something that city officials should be making for them. Now, the city of Lemon Grove is in an interesting position compared to a lot of the other cities because they're having a lot of big financial problems in, in Lemon Grove. You know, they're a legit city. They're a municipality, just like Escondido or Oceanside or Chula Vista or Poway. But their revenues have been decreasing. And, you know, where do you get your revenues from? Most cities, it comes from property tax revenue and it comes from sales tax revenue. Well, they've been challenged there, and the economic conditions in Lemon Grove haven't been very good. So I imagine part of the reason they're allowing it is to allow more businesses and therefore more tax revenue in order to kind of help the city government thrive, because the city government's been struggling. Well, at least they're opening up to it on that level, on an economic level, and that's good news. But what do you think? Should Lemon Grove allow cannabis outlets? Should these things be banned in cities throughout San Diego County? Now, apparently at this one, this element seven, customers would first check in at a lobby and the site would include more than a dozen 4K cameras in addition to other security measures, according to company officials and city records. So they've they've installed all of this security to sell a plant, to sell a natural substance. They probably put all that in because they know that locals are going to be paranoid about some criminal element. But come on, <laughs> it's a medicine. Um, some profits from this um, uh, Element 7 will be voluntarily set aside for community improvements and a council made up of residents, not employees, will meet throughout the year to decide how to spend that money, according to Chief Operating Officer Josh Black. So see how they have to do this? They have to, they have to come in and, and basically give away some of their profit to local community members just to kind of appease them and get them to shut up about it. They end, they have to essentially sacrifice part of their business, but they shouldn't have to do that. 
you know, it's, it's like they're, what the right word is, but I mean, how many other businesses do that? Have to give up part of their profits and other people decide what can be done with that. I mean, it's almost, it's almost like being, I'm talking about Sopranos. It's almost like being complicit with the mob. It's almost like trying to buy favors. Uh, So I, I, this is crazy. Um, Now, (laughs) this is a trend that's going to be happening all over America not just in San Diego County, not just in California, but I think people are finally waking up to the idea that cannabis is like a medicine. Cannabis helps people overcome stress, anxiety, depression, glaucoma, the effects of chemotherapy. I mean, we need to evolve here. So Lemon Grove is evolving. That's good. I'm happy to hear that. Okay. Um, Let's keep moving. I do have my San Diego community forum. We're going to get into some comments there. Um, but I still welcome your thoughts and ideas. If you're watching the live stream, first of all, thank you. If you're watching the live stream, if you're watching the live stream and you feel so inclined, give us a thumbs up. And what that does is it helps out the algorithm. So more people watching, more people liking, more people following or subscribing is good for this podcast, for the John Riley Project. We start appearing more frequently in people's news feeds on Facebook and on YouTube, uh, more frequently in Google search results. So if you want to support the podcast, give it a thumbs up, uh, like, follow, share, and subscribe. Tell your friends about it. Okay, let's go on and talk a little bit about our San Diego Community Forum. And this is where I get you involved. Now, some of you have already jumped in. Ed Franklin, Matt Brannigan um, have already jumped in on the live stream. So has Mike Devine. Um, And I love taking those calls and comments just like a regular talk show. Um, You know, because a lot of ways I'm trying to make this. You remember when Roger Hedgecock, after he was ejected as the mayor of San Diego back in the 80s, he started his own talk show on uh, Kogo AM 600 talking about a lot of these types of topics. And so I'm trying to do that in a podcast form, on a YouTube platform, on an Apple podcast platform. So, you know, and so you can call in essentially, and you can do that by typing in your comment or question in the live stream or responding in social media. And I like to get my social media commenters involved as well. So let's do that now. Here's the first one. And this is from Mama Deck. (laughs) Okay, That's her handle. I know her name in real life, but I won't disclose it. Um, And uh, this was in uh, response to the vertical video that I posted on Instagram um, about the mess of homelessness and who created the mess. And, you know, my angle has always been that this homelessness crisis is ultimately caused by the politicians with their housing policies and a lot of the other policies they've put forth that have resulted in this mess. And so now, you know, they're trying to fix it and they're having all sorts of trouble. But one of the people that was trying to solve part of the problem was State Senator Brian Jones, who's from Santee. And he wanted to start really aggressively enforcing kicking the homeless out. And Mama Dex says, well, if you're going to remove them, where are you going to put them? Well, that's kind of the, the big issue here. And that's what we were talking about with these the county of San Diego buying hotels and motels for the homeless. I like the idea of having places set aside for camping. So you can move campers off the sidewalk and move them to an area that is safe, protected, and is not, how should I say, disrupting business, disrupting residential neighborhoods. I mean, 
I couldn't go down my street here and set up a, tamp, a tent in front of my neighbor's house and just live there. I shouldn't be able to do that. I mean, it violates property rights. It violates a lot of laws. Righteously violates those laws. So I like the idea of moving them to temporarily to a camping area. I think that makes sense. Um, but I think there's bigger issues here related to housing policy, addiction, mental health that all need to be addressed. And those are all long-term challenges. But in the short term, they have to have a place to put them. So yeah, where do you put them? You can't just leave them there. You can't just allow kind of anarchy on the streets. That's not appropriate. Um, I think most rational people would agree to that. We all do have a heart, a heavy heart. We understand that the homeless are in a difficult situation. Um, Many people probably think they're only one paycheck from being homeless. And I know it's a tough spot. I mean, you lose your job. Maybe you... um, have any sorts of health issues. I mean, any number of crises could happen in a person's life and you could be homeless and it can happen pretty quickly. I believe that. Those people deserve help. The question is who's going to provide the help and we can figure that out. But in the short term, they need to find a place for them to safely go where it's win-win. Good for the homeless, good for everybody else too. Okay, here's another comment from the live stream. This is one of my podcast episode a few weeks ago. We talked about the KUSI channel 951 being sold. And that led to all sorts of comments about the San Diego media and the consolidation of newspapers and the consolidation of TV news departments. Well, David Gleason said, sorry to hear this, have watched since first came on the air and have always liked how they are not afraid to report what was really happening in San Diego. So talk about KUSI. And yeah, KUSI has always done a really good job with local news, in my opinion, and, and, and an outstanding job covering local high school sports. I mean, they've been incredible at that level. Uh, David goes on to say, it's unfortunate going to be, it's unfortunate going to be a generic news station that will have the same story all the other San Diego stations have. What a shame. Well, that seems to be what's going to happen because The company that bought KUSI also owns, I think it's Channel 6, which is a CW station, or is it Channel 5 that's a CW? I think it's 6 that's CW. And the prediction was is that those two stations would likely merge their local news departments. Now, they say that their combined local news department would still be dominant compared to all the other ones. But most likely, yeah, they are going to merge. And that's the sad thing that's going on in the local San Diego marketplace. And that's part of the void I'm trying to fill with this podcast is to provide more coverage on local on local issues and to give people a chance to respond and communicate and talk these things out. That's why I love having political candidates as my guests on this podcast, because we talk about a wide range of issues and challenges that we're facing here in San Diego County. But yeah, KUSI is going to change, and so let's keep an eye on that. I like those guys. Unfortunately, when we pulled, when we cut the cord um, and dropped Cox for our television, we switched to Direct TV streaming, mostly to still get Padre games. But KUSI is not on that platform, so I don't get to watch KUSI anymore. Hacksaw still goes on KUSI usually about every weekend, uh, talking sports, and he's always good to check out there. Okay, got a couple more comments. These are both Poway related. And the first one is about the farm and Kevin McNamara. Um, You know, I 
did this vertical video on Instagram calling it the Poway flip-flop. And this was the case of the farm promising to build a 3,000-square-foot fitness club in the commercial district at the farm in Poway, which is this new housing development that's going on in North Poway where the former Stone Ridge Country Club was. Well, the promise was a 3,000-square-foot fitness club. It was voted on by the voters with the promise that it would never change. But now Kevin McNamara wants to change it. Um, And a lot of people are really angry. And according to Sue Fitzgibbons, she says it's been nothing but a lie from the very beginning. Well, I wouldn't say that. Um, it was a promised development of housing with open space and a lot of these other amenities, and they're building it now. Were there a few adjustments that were made as they were grading the land? Yeah, probably. Um is this a change? Definitely. This fitness club thing is definitely a change. But it's not like they're unilaterally doing it. They're, they're now going to the city council and trying to get approval. But essentially, they're asking the city council to override the public vote on this. Now, in my opinion, this should never have been a public vote in the first place. I mean, a private property owner should be able to build whatever size fitness club they want on their land. Um, it's not something that voters should micromanage. And then when it's voted on in, in was Measure P, it was a very specific plan that locked him in. And, you know, McNamara sold it on that, that it would never change. And, and it passed. Well, be careful what you wish for, right? Um, you know, Matt Brannigan was talking about that earlier. Be careful what you wish for, because now you're going to get it. And that's what McNamara got. He's locked into that 3,000 square foot Fitness club. Now, the question is, is will the city council override it? And then the bigger question is, is who should, who should really decide? The property owner, the voters, the city council? I mean, should we get other people involved in this? Maybe the, the churches should weigh in on this. Maybe the Little League should weigh in on this. I mean, who, who gets to decide? In my opinion... The property owner should be able to decide on this, but that's not what the legal framework is. The legal framework is the voters decide, and the voters did decide, and this larger fitness club is not part of the plan. So has the whole thing been a lie since the very beginning? That's what Sue Fitzgibbon says. I say no, but have there been some changes or attempts to change? Yeah. So let's see where this goes. Okay, and then finally, here's another comment on the live stream, more Poway topics from Mike Devine. Mike, of course, already commented on the live stream. Mike is a pretty outspoken um, guy here on, in Poway social media. And this is about the Poway term limits. Um, you know, Tony Blaine wrote an op-ed in the Poway Chieftain asking for term limits. Tony Blaine, by the way, is already an announced candidate for District 2 in Poway. So he kind of has a... He has his own agenda here. But Mike Devine says, term limits are pushed by outsiders to get a leg up. We should be able to vote for whoever we want. We had two seats up for grabs without incumbents. We didn't need term limits. District 2 won't have an incumbent either. We have fresh blood and three council seats by 2024. Well, I agree and disagree. So has there been fresh blood Yes, there were two recent elections in um, District 1, Brian Pepin won, and in District 3, Peter DeHoff won. Those were legit elections. I know a lot of people were supporting some of the other candidates, 
But, you know, those those were cases where we had one um, – it was Dave Grush retired and then John Mullen retired. So, yeah, these are from retirements. But Dave Grush was in office for three terms, and I think John Mullen was in a similar length of time. Dave Grush, by the way, ran on term limits, maximum of two, and he ended up completing two and then chose to run for a third. And I, I think term limits are a good idea because you don't want politicians to be so entrenched that they become part of the machine of the city. The city council representatives, in my opinion, should have frequent turnover. They should, you know, if a person has done a great job in office and is reelected to a second term, that's fine. But we had guys on our city council in Poway that were in office for 28 years. 28 years. You know, I mean, there's a lot of, you hear a lot of this from people on the right, um, conservatives, that get upset with Joe Biden because he's a career politician. And I get that objection. Career politicians, I mean, that's not what the way America was set up was that these politicians would go into office, serve for a few terms, and then return back to their home district and go back to work for their family-run business. That was kind of the concept, the idea. It wasn't that we were going to install these people that would be in office in perpetuity like the king and his court. We were trying to get away from that. We were trying to get away from that, having some kind of a, you know, citizens voting for their own representatives. But the reality is, is that incumbents are just so overwhelmingly favored because they have name recognition. They're seen as a person of an an authority. Incumbents generally win 90% of the time, unless there's some big controversy. So I think having term limits is a good idea. It just encourages more turnover. It encourages or at least tries to break the cycle of council people being long-termers that kind of get in bed with certain donors, certain business interests. It kind of breaks down a lot of the cronyism if we can have fresh blood in there frequently. So should there be term limits? In my opinion, yes. What's the maximum? Like, in my opinion, two, maybe three terms. So that would be eight, maybe 12 years. That sounds about right. What do you think? Let me know in the live chat. Okay. Wow. Um, We're going here at an hour and 14. This is probably a good time to wrap up this podcast episode. But thanks very much for watching and listening. And if you want to get more information, you can go to johnreillyproject.com. All of our episodes are there. You can sign up on our mailing list. You can connect on social media. We continue the conversation on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, and on TikTok. Um, If you want to talk more, you want to get in touch with me, go to my website, John Riley Project. If you feel so inclined, you can leave a donation there to support what we're doing. But thanks again for listening and thanks for watching. We'll be posting segments of this throughout the week on YouTube so you can catch little chapters of this hour and 15 minute long podcast episode. Thanks again, friends. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor, subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. Go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest... 
read my blog or get more information, please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.